I wanted to speak with you about seasons. You see, seasons are measuring devices that God uses to bring growth and maturity into our lives. You went, you came from where you came from, and you arrived at where you arrived at by going through multiple different seasons. You see, everything that's alive actually has seasons and cycles. Uh, the year has four seasons. The ocean cycles between high tide and low tide, and high tide and low tide. Planets cycle. And even our bodies have cycles and seasons. You see, a child goes through all these different stages on the path to maturity. And so seasons and cycles are the means by which God produces this growth in us. And um, it, it's, whether it's plants or animals, humans, but also in our spiritual lives. We go through seasons and we go through cycles. We go from one stage to the next stage. And so I have no doubt in my mind that God intends for you and I to look at every season in our life as an opportunity for us to mature in, an opportunity for us to actually put our roots down and grow. Uh, seasons of hardship, seasons of struggle, seasons of pain, and then there are seasons of joy, seasons of celebration, and we have to recognize the season we're in. How many of you have gotten to the end of a year, you looked back and you went, whoa, what just happened there? I can't even tell you what just happened in this year. It just came and went. Well, I believe that God allows us to go through seasons, and if we identify those seasons and we make the most of each season, that is how we make the most of life. A farmer knows to use the seasons ahead of him to produce harvests. He knows this is the season to plant, that is the season to harvest, and unless he identifies the seasons accurately and correctly, he will fail in producing anything. But that same principle is true for you and I. We actually have to identify the seasons that we are in, and we have to live according to those seasons in order to make sure we don't plant at the time that we are supposed to be harvesting or harvest at the time that we're supposed to be planting. You don't first water, and then you sow, you sow, and then you water, and then you believe God for the increase. However, believers oftentimes will go through an entire year, and when they look back, the seasons that have come and gone, but no significant stakes have been put in the ground. No significant positions were taken. No significant difference was made in their lives. No significant growth has, has taken place in their lives. No significant wars have been won in their personal and private lives. No significant signs showing that they have become the voice that God has called for them to be in the world. You might say, well, I don't think I'm called to the world. You're called to your world, right? I'm called to my world. And when we look back over a past year, we wonder, okay, what significant thing has happened? Dave mentioned one. I mean, it's reading through the Bible in a year is not easy. If it was, most would do it. But for most part, people start and then they kind of taper off and they kind of lose it, right? Because busy. And so when we look back over the past year, we have to ask ourselves what significant things have taken place. Where did I grow? 
Seasons like Christmas and Passover, by the way, I mean, I'm just, because we're now in the Christmas season, I want to point to this, but think about Passover, how packed with meaning, packed with significance and purpose that season is. And so is Christmas. And it should be celebrated in a way that brings significance and purpose to that very season that we are in. And if we do that with the seasons of our lives, we will see that we are in step with what God is doing with us, in us, and through us. You have got to get in step with the season of your life. A few weeks ago, I had the privilege of ministering to somebody from out of town. And this gentleman looked at me with frustration and he said these words. He said, my life is on cruise control. I basically uh, walk around aimless. Most of my life is aimless. And I have a really hard time to find purpose in my life. So I said to him, but, but brother, I think you're looking at it the wrong way. You're looking for purpose to come to you. Or you're looking for a purpose that's out there. Instead, why don't you do what you have right now, right here on purpose? What you need to do is you need to find out what God, what season God has placed you in right now. Some of you aren't married yet. That's a season. Some of you just got married. That's a season. Some of you have been married for a long time. That's a season. Some of you are with children, that's a season. Some of you are without, that's a season. Some of you are grandparents, great-grandparents, that's a season. Some of you have just joined Bible school and finished it, that was a season. Now there's the next one. What is God? What season does God have you in right now and is calling you to? Make the most of those seasons like a farmer has to make most of the seasons in order to be fruitful. So I said to him, Identify the season that you're in. Know what the will of God is, which is simple. It's revealed. It's in your hand. It's in a book. God spoke to us. The Bible is a compilation of His thoughts. He put it together and He gave it to you. It says, this is what I think about these issues. <clears throat> now, if we know the Word of God, we know what God has called us to do. To live scripturally. Inside of whether it be that you're married or single, have children, or that you have a job that you answer to somebody or people answer to you, whatever it is, you know how to respond scripturally. And that is what God has called for you to do inside of this season. To stay responsible for the priorities of that season. And I say, I said to him, if you do this on purpose, you will have purpose. So I really want to call you guys. For those of you who are married, be married on purpose. Be married on purpose. For those of you that are part of this church, be part of this church on purpose. For those of you that, uh, that see, well, hey, there's a program, like uh, I'm just now reminded because David said it, there's a Bible reading program. Jump on it, jump into it on purpose. Do these things on purpose. There's a Bible school, do it on purpose. You have a family, reach them out, reach out to them on purpose. Plan it. And you go like, my life has so much purpose. I know. That's if you do things on purpose. So here's my point. When it comes to seasons in our lives, and I'm going to refer to some of these seasons we all go through together, which would be, whether it be Passover, Christmas, Pentecost, Ascension, birthdays, whatever it is. 
Stop being half-hearted about celebrating. Let me say it again. <laughs> Stop being half-hearted about celebrating. I love when uh, a bunch of us went, um, Han, Sam, Billy, and I went to this... Um, Kentucky, yeah. Did I leave somebody out? Mike, thank you, Mike. Sorry, our driver. <laughs> I just knew I left somebody out. <laughs> Mike, how could I leave Mike out? <laughs> uh, uh, he drove us there, drove us back. He kept us on time. We kept him off time. But one of the things um, that I loved about this conference, strangely enough, it was actually Mike and I who talked about it, I remember them saying, this conference is called Fight, Laugh, Feast. Because, honestly, folks, we need to fight more the devil. We need to laugh more because we are overcomers. And we need to feast a lot more than what we are. That's the theme of that conference. And so... <clears throat> This is my challenge to you, is stop being half-hearted by jumping into the season that you're currently in. Stop being half-hearted in celebrating. Stop being half-hearted in celebrating on purpose. Decide to celebrate God. Celebrate the things of God. Celebrate the acts of God. Celebrate on purpose. And the reason I'm saying that is this. Watch this. If you open up your Old Testament... You don't have to read far in order to find that from the beginning to end, it is filled with annual celebrations, feasts, and festivals. That's what they did. And this was God's, this was God's way of doing something in people. For instance, this is one way that God trained their children concerning what He is doing for them and what He's promising to do for them. This is one way of creating culture, one way of making memories, teaching yourself, teaching those around you about the life that God has given you and how we ought to live it. So stop being uh, ignorant of the purpose of the season that you're in and of the celebration God has called you. In other words, know what this celebration is all about. Most people, for most part, even in churches, are now mindlessly celebrating Christmas. They are now mindlessly celebrating even the Easter bunny on Passover. They mindlessly going with the flow. Went to the bank yesterday or the day before. As we're waiting for Tina. They have this pile of invitations, and I picked up an invitation. It's an event my bank is hosting there in Winfield. Everybody's encouraged to come to the bank, have eats, and bring your dog, it's a pet celebration, so your dog can take a picture with Santa. <laughs> Stop being ignorant of the purpose for the season that you're in, for the celebration that you're having. There's another thing we need to stop doing. We need to stop allowing people who are ignorant to keep telling you that your celebration of Jesus is coming to earth is rooted in paganism. Just stop it. Number one, they're wrong. Number two, they're completely wrong. Number three, they're completely ignorant of history. 
For heaven's sakes, you used to be pagan. Here you are. We should kick you out because you got pagan roots. Makes no sense. You used to be paganist. You used to be rooted in paganism. Now you're rooted in Christ. You used to be pagan. Pagan no more. You used to worship like pagans do. You no longer worship that way. You worship differently. And uh, I have a short video for you, which I think answers this question uh, from one way. There are many ways to answer it, but here's one for you by Kirk Cameron and Doug Wilson. Would it bother you to think that Christians might have co-opted a pagan holiday and called it Christmas? No, that, that doesn't bother I want to show you that verse because uh, the verse that Doug was mentioning, because um, it's so striking. Look at Hosea chapter 2, verse 16 and 17. Verse 16 and 17, it literally says this, And in that day, declares the Lord, "You you will call me my husband. Who's he speaking to? The church, right? We are the bride, he's the groom. Uh, You will call me my husband, and no longer... Will you call me my Baal? Verse 17. For I will remove the names of the Baals from her mouth. And they, the Baals, 
shall be remembered by, my, by name no more. Isn't that amazing? I tell you, when Jesus gave us the Great Commission, He didn't give us the Great Commission to fail. The Great Commission is going to succeed. The nations are going to be reached. And all the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our God. Now, I remember in 2000 when I moved to the United States from South Africa, it, was, it started around about there, maybe 2002, but especially during the years of 2008 through 2016, that Christmas became a very, very controversial issue. Do you guys remember that? Because somehow we have a very short memory as to how fast we move down the drain. <laughs> Uh, but I remember, specifically those years, 2008 through to 2016, Christmas became a very controversial issue. From the White House all the way to the outhouse, saying Christmas or Merry Christmas became very offensive to everybody. Nobody in stores were allowed to say it. Things cooled down, however, starting 2016. However, when things reached a boiling point... In regards to this whole fight against Christmas, we answered that contention by building these eight-foot crosses. They stood really high. We painted them white. And then on the white, we wrote Mary on the cross beam and Christmas down the center beam. And then what we did was we went to all the major intersections downtown Chicago. And we had more than 300 of those uh, crosses up people holding all of these crosses, and we just stood on the corners of the streets, Michigan Avenue, waving at everybody. The one would show you the thumbs up, the other one, middle finger up. You just kept waving like, Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas, because you weren't allowed to say it anymore. That's what we did. And um, I think, you know, I, I remember that as clearly as, clearly as daylight, but I think that here's a short clip that explains to us as to why is the term Merry Christmas so triggering to some. And I think Vody Bakum, one of my heroes, defines this really well. Thank you. So diluted Christmas that a Muslim country has the Guinness world record for the most expensive Christmas tree ever in the world. Erected in the middle of a mall in a country where you bet not convert to Christianity. Why? Because everybody loved Jesus as long as you don't define who he is. As long as you don't get into the nitty-gritty of what it means for Jesus to be the Son of God. Listen, if Jesus is just a good man and a good teacher, even a good prophet, he's completely acceptable. Mormons and Muslims alike love Jesus. Hindus and Buddhists are very happy with Jesus. As long as he's just a teacher who offers sage wisdom, then Jesus is fine. 
But the minute you step across that line and argue that Jesus is more than prophet, more than teacher, that he's actually God incarnate, God with us. Now, all of a sudden, those who were more than willing to gather with you scattered. Everybody loved Jesus. As long as you don't define him. Never a truer word spoken. That's why we have Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7 as our theme for today. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. That's who he is. Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. The moment you start talking about the nitty-gritty as to who Jesus really is, why we really celebrate this day, because that's who we celebrate, this Jesus we read of. Now, now the gloves come off. You see, when you say Merry Christmas, and you understand what you are saying, you are proclaiming the truth about human history. That's what you're doing. What once may have been pagan, we now proclaim the truth about what happened in history when paganism was overthrown. That's what we're proclaiming. If Merry Christmas is true and all that it stands for is true, then what we have is we have a Christ that was born, so now it's time to celebrate. He's born. We have a king that was born, so let's rejoice the king has arrived. We now have a king who takes upon himself the government upon his shoulders and his government shall have no end. It'll grow and grow and grow. So let's praise God for that. You see, if all of this is true, every time you say Merry Christmas, then you are proclaiming that there is a Christ and therefore it follows that there is an almighty Father God in heaven. When you say Merry Christmas, that is what is assumed. That is what is meant. That is what we are defining when we say Christmas. Every time you purposefully say Merry Christmas and you say it on purpose, you're proclaiming not just the historical reality that Jesus was born, God incarnate, but you're also proclaiming and making a political statement. You see, the birth of Christ was so significant that when Herod, King Herod heard that he was born, King Herod declared that all boys under the age of three had to be murdered. So how radically impactful was Jesus' birth on the political system of that day? Think of it. When the early church came up with their very first creed, which is the shortest creed of all, it was in fact a response, it was a political response to Herod's claims, or excuse me, Caesar's claims. They responded according to what they, how they related to Caesar. Everybody related to Caesar as the highest authority. They related how? Jesus is Lord. 
So for, from Jesus' birth to the birth of the church and beyond, the coming of Christ was impacted every single person, every single family, every single society that it was ever created and ever existed, and every single government. When you say Christmas, purposefully, this is what is implied, and these are the lines that are being drawn. When you declare Merry Christmas, you are inadvertently proclaiming that Jesus, not Herod, is in fact king. Jesus, not Caesar, is in fact king. Jesus, not Washington, D.C., is the final authority in your life. Jesus, not the United Nations, is the highest law and ultimate authority that exists in your world. You are proclaiming a spiritual reality every time you say Merry Christmas, the reality of the birth of an eternal kingdom that has now been established. You are proclaiming that the government is upon Christ's shoulders and um, that the increase of that government will never cease. All of the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our Lord and Christ. When you say Merry Christmas, you are proclaiming a message that strikes at the world's rebellion. And this is one of the reasons they get so angry at that. Just as this message of the birth of Jesus was a threat to Herod, to Caesar, after them Diocletian, it is a threat to every communist leader since, in the same way that this message is also a threat to every king and every ruler who claims ultimate authority. Who, who demands that they cannot be questioned and demands allegiance. I'll, I'll just give you an example, and this is important for us to understand. Because when you declare Merry Christmas, you need to know what you are saying. It's not a sentimental kind of statement that happens at the end of every year. It's actually <laughs> the statement that changed all of the world human history and life. I mean, they're doing their absolute best to no longer use AD or BC. They now want to use common era because they have to get away from the, what the statement truly means to them when you say this purposefully. Let's use China as an example. If the government leaders of China do not believe that there's a God, well, it leads therefore, it follows therefore, that these people do not believe that God has authority over them. So if they are atheists, the people who are in the Chinese government, if they are atheists and you ask them the question, who has the highest authority? Who has the highest authority? They only have one answer. They do. The fact is, those who believe that there is no God is left with one worldview, and that is that government is God, and that there's no God, no God over government. This message of Christmas is a threat to every atheistic government in history. You can go and search out your history. You'll find this to be true. It is a threat to communism, which is atheistic by nature. This message is a threat to tyrants everywhere throughout history. This message of Christmas is a threat to every rebellious, unrepentant individual. And I'm talking to you about the controversial nature of Christmas.
Why is Christmas so controversial? Because it draws lines with every single person that is not submitted to God. This message of Christmas is a threat to every rebellious, unrepentant sinner. Let me ask you, how often do you get the opportunity to make a vast historical claim by simply uttering two words? Merry Christmas. Two, 2023, praise God. <laughs> how often do you get to make massive spiritual and eternal truth claims by simply uttering the words, Merry Christmas? What does that mean? God became a man so he could die for his own. Because as God, he can't die, but he had to first take on the body of a man in order to die, in order to save men. What are you saying? Yeah, that the king is now here. The kingdom has come. And this kingdom is growing, and of its increase, there will be no end. And we are declaring that no other authority is above it or equal to it, but under it. We are declaring that every single unrepentant sinner has one of two choices. Christ or chaos. So how often do we get to make this one statement and, and in, in, in so doing make a vast historical claim and make this massive spiritual and eternal claim by stating Merry Christmas? It's a power-packed statement. But at the same time, when this statement is made, as many squirm and as many become hateful and angry and as many want to throw the insults, so at the same time, on the other side, all the God-fearing believers rejoice. They have a reason to rejoice now. Merry Christmas. We know what this means. Our King is here. The kingdom has been established and it is growing. And we now have a Savior King. Because that's what kings used to do. The king was there to protect that nation. And he's here to protect you. So when we say Merry Christmas... All God-fearing believers now rejoice. They celebrate. They sing. And they have parties. And they give gifts. Because it is a response to what was given to them. So our conclusion here today is simply this. Know the seasons and the times of your life. Don't allow yourself to get to the end of a year. Look back. And nothing significant happened. Because we didn't make the most of the very seasons that we went through in that year. Identify the season. Recognize the season you're in. And now maximize all of what God has called for you to do inside of that season. Don't worry about the past. Don't fear the future. Make the most of today. Today is a season to rejoice because our King was born. God incarnate. He established His kingdom. He came to save us. And nothing can take us from His hand. God has you in the season. He's using the season. It's a means through which uh, you, can be, you can be built up, whether it be the hardships of your life or the pain of your life. 
It's a means by which you can mature. God has you in the season, in this place, with these people. So make sure you, you look back on each season of your life and see the significant growth. You see the significant fruitfulness and the strength that was wrought through the seasons of life that God has brought you in. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for giving us eyes wide open. Give us discernment and understanding so that we can see, Lord God, you have given us these seasons as opportunities to be fruitful, just like a farmer needs seasons to be fruitful. So we have seasons in our lives. And Lord, we submit to your way of doing things. And you've called us to be here right now in this season with these people. And Lord, this is a season of celebrating. This is a season of rejoicing. This is a season of singing. This is a season of praising you and having parties and being generous because we reflect all that we know is true about Jesus when he was born 2,000 years ago. We don't guess this, we know this. We're so thankful, Father God, for this season where we can rejoice, not just because of what you did, but because of everything that was overthrown in order to establish that which you have done. Oh, we rejoice, Father God, as we see the names of these gods disappear and go away. And we thank you, Father God, that things are being sanctified in us, around us, and through us in Jesus' mighty name. And all those who love the Lord said, Amen. 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 Praise the Lord. Did you get something?